1: What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? It's season preview time. Yeah, the season is here. Regular season's about to pop off against the Cavs. Preseason's over. We'll finally get to see what's going on with this team. We're going to jump into a lot of different topics. But as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms also give us a follow on Instagram at the Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But Jack. I guess let's get kicked off with the storylines of this team. What are some of the top storylines in your eyes for this group? And obviously, you know, it's not the Kyrie, KD, Nets, and it doesn't have the same narrative
2: and media focus, but there's still a lot going on. There is plenty going on. It almost feels like I looked at my last year's... Template and, and and preparation for it, and I think I have more for this, and maybe it's because we're more engaged and there's more of the nitty gritty, the X's and O stuff to look for. But I also got a few listener questions that came through this as well, because we can sort of discuss and some surround Ben Simmons. So Ben at the top of the list, how good is Ben going to be? How will Ben and Clax coexist? Can mikhail continue to make the trajectory and consistency that he showed in the latter? portions of last year cam thomas's growth how long will royce and dfs be on the team how the net spacing and just general half court offense be can they how will they uh, be able to leak elite defense can they manage that drop uh, they're rebounding and then there was a few other listener questions that we can sort of and topics we can sort of get into as well but did you have any other ones or i'm assuming a lot of them overlap with mine
1: yeah they're pretty much almost all the same i think uh the only difference is like i have ben is just like a focus on his own and i think that's just like at so many at so many different levels you know can his health maintain athletically is he going to continue to improve or is this where he's at not to say that it's bad but I think there could potentially be another gear there for him I think also just like overall confidence and like we see his game improved is he going to go back to being a little bit more aggressive around the rim like trying to dunk on people I think that's another step forward for him you mentioned obviously the spacing and Mikel stardom I also think there's potential for Nick Claxon stardom you know really locking himself in as one of the best defenders in the nba you know you do it for a season and a half but you want to see it over time and i think that's where you really start to get the credit so that's what i'm looking at for clacks i think also like these guys you have the diamond and the rough players on this team you know who's going to potentially turn into a long-term role player you know you're looking at um lonnie walker Trendon Watford you know these different guys can they potentially you know have like a long-term impact with the Nets and I think that's something we saw them have success with in the past can they find another one of these guys and then also like do we get anything from the rookies this season you know obviously Derek Whitehead still rehabbing coming back Noah Clowney super raw Jalen Wilson really showed up in summer league but you know are those guys going to have an impact or are we still kind of have to wait almost till next season
2: yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing those, all those guys and the sort of surprise players in the rotation yeah. talk and the lineup sort of chat. It's going to be a fun discussion. This is going to be a big one, guys. But I guess uh, we'll get to some of the listener questions, Nick, because I, mean, I appreciate everyone that did respond on Twitter in regards to my tweet about, you know, hit us up with any questions you got about the season preview. And we had Jay from BK. Very highly known on Nets Twitter. He asked, do you prefer the Nets being a fun team with zero hope of championship aspirations or a contender, but not the fun slash vibes type of team? Now, this seems to be a direct correlation to what we saw, the previous iterations of the Nets versus the current iteration of the Nets. Now, I think a lot of people were responding to, to Jay's tweet to as much as mine overall, but I think that I enjoy... As a podcaster, I can answer this from like different sort of vantage points. As a fan, the mental stress and mental investment certainly isn't there to what it was in previous iterations because the expectations aren't there. As a podcaster, it feels like that there isn't the same sense of urgency. So it sort of takes away from some of the, the striking nature of some of the content that we do, do when there isn't those high expectations. But I also overall just enjoy... The, just watching basketball overall and Nets basketball overall so no matter what it is like we've done this from the Quincy AC D'Angelo Russell teams to the Kevin Kyrie Irving teams like we're going to have fun with this no matter what. What I prefer is I prefer to be winning. Like That's it at the end of the day. Like if you're a fan and you're not in the business of of being in there and winning, then you know what are you really in this for? But it doesn't mean I'm not going to really enjoy this process, enjoy this ride. And who knows, maybe in a year or two time, we find a, a superstar to, to pair alongside some of our guys in the rotation that we do have. And maybe we are speaking about a contending team sooner rather than later. But I'm still going to enjoy this fun vibes team this year uh, and every single game and every single moment along the way. What about you, Nick? Yeah.
1: I mean, I always enjoy the Nets regardless of kind of expectation, but it's always a contender. You know, you're always trying to win a championship, especially a franchise that's never won an NBA championship. And you were, you felt so close, obviously it never came to fruition with the big three, but just that season where they lost to Milwaukee in game seven, that's just such a sour taste. And I think even still having losses like that, you always prefer your team to go as far as possible. You know, winning games is fun no matter the level. So I think you want to just have a chance to be the best team in the league and have a chance at winning a championship. Even if it's like the sixth best chance in the league, it's better than not being in the playoffs or not having a real opportunity to win a playoff series. So for me, it's always about winning. You know, you you play the
2: game to win. Exactly. You know, you, you're in it to win. Another one, Nick, that sort of harks back to the discussion around Royce and DFS. We had it from at Steven Vaughn, 13, which of the players on an expiring contract are most likely to be traded by deadline. And I guess Nick Claxton's in, included in that as well. The Nets have a, a heap of flexibility. I think Spencer's on an expiring too, so I guess it's a it's a pertinent question because this team, the Nets have a heap of assets. They can strike on a a, a heap of guys who might or might not be available. There's plenty of of rumors and, and rumblings here or there, but I think the answer has to be Royce or DFS at this point. But that could quickly change if the Net's you know pivot towards getting a guard and maybe Spencer he has gone in a package for Donovan Mitchell so but I'll I'll stick with Royce or and or DFS and I think it's probably more likely to be DFS um from a personal standpoint. Point.
1: Yeah. Well, DFS is is not on an expiring contract, but I think he is the most likely to be traded. But if we're talking just guys on expiring contracts, you know, between Spencer Dewey, Nick Clax, and Royce O'Neill, and the veteran minimum guys, it's probably Royce O'Neill. You know, we're just looking at purely expiring. You know, I think Clax. There's a chance maybe if the season goes bad or they get a vibe that you know he's not going to resign with the team, that's a possibility that he's moved. But it just seems Royce. You know, has potentially been moved in the past and. Just more likely than the other two guys, especially if the Nets want to make something out of the season. It feels like they they want to be competitive regardless and have a shot at, you know, making the playing game.
2: Yeah. And it'll be intriguing to sort of see because Clax's number, at like nine or ten million dollars, moving that for an adequate return for what he can produce, as we alluded to, you know, him being the defensive player of the year candidate last year, didn't get the credit he deserved. He said that. We've said that on on the buzz too. So Yeah, it'll be intriguing to say there's a lot of machinations a lot of things that that could happen and and i guess it sort of relates to just one point on
1: Claxon, jack Uh, just with the the trading of Claxon, it's a very weird situation because he's on an expiring contract and you won't have the ability to extend him you know you would have his his bird rights but it doesn't necessarily guarantee you'll be able to keep him on the team so it's almost like trading clacks at the deadline. The value might not really be there depending on the team, unless they feel very, very confident in, you know, re-signing him in the off season, or they think that he can be that final piece to a championship run. So it's just overall kind of just a little bit different than what we're used to in terms of trades.
2: Yeah, and questions relating to, I guess, Ben and and sort of trade stuff, Nick. And this is from... I'll give both of them. We can discuss both sort of together at lost company. Ask if Ben Simmons returns to form and puts up all-star numbers, will the nets move on from Claxton because of that poor fit? Do they sell high on Ben instead? Uh, and from at Mr. Porton says, would you go all in on Ben to go get someone like cat who gained traction last year or wait for someone like the Clippers to blow it up? Now, I guess both of these are sort of trade talk and the Ben and sort of clacks fit together. You know, we sort of spoke about Ben Simmons and his trade value before we sort of saw what we did in the preseason and the likelihood around that. A, a, it's a nice contract number in terms of you always want to have a guy who's got a 20 to 30, 20 to 40 sort of million dollar contract. Cause that's where the stars generally are at. So Ben, Ben could get traded. Ben, like I, I it's hard to sort of envision it right now because this Ben journey is sort of focusing on the game by game, the play by play sort of thing. But there is a world where Ben could be off and we see, the Nets retain Clax, you know, because with Ben's contract, with Claxton's contract, with McHale's contract, with Cam J's contract, you know, uh, for a middling sort of team, we'll get to our predictions later, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So contract-wise and team machinations-wise, unless you're using one of those on a genuine superstar, that $40 plus, it doesn't make sense. And maybe Ben gets back to that and it makes, you know, Nick Claxton ancillary, but then... Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And then your cat fits alongside Ben Simmons a lot better. So these questions are ones that we could debate for days and days, but I guess, what are your general thoughts, Nate?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, both questions, very interesting. I think Ben, I haven't really given much thought about trading him. If his value goes way back up, you know, if he gets back to maybe an all-star level, our teams around the league, you know, we're super interested in him. It's also kind of a an interesting player because he can only fit on so many teams, but there are teams in the past that have been tied to him. So are those teams still interested, you know, do the nets pivot into trading him for more picks and really swing and build around, you know, a Clax, cam Johnson and Mikel kind of group to add that ideal superstar to, you know, it's, it's where, where do they see this team kind of moving forward or did, They love Ben and they think they get something good for Clax. Like I said, with the whole Clax thing, I think it's a weird scenario and a lot of it's going to have to be kind of a feel out from the Nets. You know, do they feel really confident that they can retain him? If they do, that opens up different things. But if they feel like he's going to be on the way out and he's interested in other teams, then you kind of almost look to move him regardless of the fit works, just because you're not confident he's going to be back and then you're going to lose him for nothing.
2: Yeah, and it's sort of like, you'd rather package him with something so you can get something in return so maybe it's like spencer and Clax to toronto or i, I don't know i don't know yeah. the machinations of that i don't want to see Clax city uh depart brooklyn but yeah it's i it's think something... like an
1: interesting team for uh Clax would be like the kings maybe um just oh because, yeah like, they don't have a defense he'd be like a real defensive force around a really good offensive team you know obviously
2: couldn't he fit with a bonus i don't know but this isn't a king's podcast that's for something else <laughs> No, but in, in saying that, like it, it makes me sort of think back to the fact that, oh, Sean Marks got such a great deal and it clacks like three years, thirty million dollars, something around that, where it's just like, ah, oh, I wish it was a bit longer and then it would have allowed the Nets to re-sign him, you know, and have that semblance of comfort. But I think Nick Claxton is going to earn himself a big payday. You know, he is developing into a really special player and you know, what we've seen from the likes of, you know, Nikola Vucevic, Jakob Pertl, these sort of guys, and then, you know, more higher-end sort of Jaron Jackson, you know, anywhere from like 20 to $35 million. I think Klaxon's somewhere in between that. I think he's better than Vooch. I think he's better than Jakob Pertl. So I think Nick Klaxon is going to be getting a, a decent, sizable deal that he certainly totally deserves whether it's from the Brooklyn Nets and how the roster machinations play it around that, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, Nick Claxton's going to have a big season and it's going to earn him a, a big payday. He deserves it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, The way that he plays offensively is going to dictate a lot about that contract because I think we already know for the most part that he's really, really good defensively and probably has strides to take forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all kind of plays out. Like you mentioned, you know, if the Nets had signed him through a three-year $30 million deal, they'd be able to extend him right now. It was just a two-year deal. And that just, you know, it felt good at the time for the Nets to be able to retain him at a good price given the superstar team. But now, in hindsight, you wish it was longer so you could do that extension. And obviously, uh, Klax probably wanted the two-year deal so he could bet on himself, and he did that. But even a simple player option here would have changed a lot of things for the Nets. But again, you know, you can't go back in time.
2: You can't. I want to have a little (laughs) bit of a discussion before we get into some more nitty-gritty about the Ben and Klax fit, Nick, because it's been a big discussion point with plenty of Nets fans, and we've heard a few little things here and there and seen some stats here and there. We've got, obviously... A a sample size of what we saw with with Ben and Klax alongside Katie and Kyrie by themselves, not by themselves. The numbers aren't great. We also heard that Jacques Vaughn say to to the Nets media, he said that the priority was about Ben and Klax playing alongside together. He said, that was the strategy. We've got to learn how to play with Nick and Ben in the spacing concept basketball, how to play with each other for each other, how to get each other open. So that's really been the emphasis so far, which has been good to see. And then Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets posted from this preseason, the Nets... Ben and Klax have played, you know, nearly thirty-three minutes together, and a minus seventeen and plus minus. Now, obviously, you know that the stats are what they are. I think the eye test shows that it's been a little bit better than that. I think it's been average. I think the spacing is going to have to be, and the Nets have been tuned the ball really, really well in the preseason without Cam Johnson. Get, without Cam Johnson, and we can get to that a little bit later when it comes to strengths and weaknesses. But what are your thoughts heading into Game One and beyond? about this Ben and Clax fit. I think that we can be optimistic, but also skeptical. That's probably where I am.
1: Yeah, I think you just have to objectively look at the situation. There's very few teams in the NBA that can play two non-shooters and be successful offensively. And one of the teams that does that has two of the best shooters of all time. So, you know, it's just a tough situation. And to people point, well, Kyrie and KD, Nets at work. Yeah, Kyrie and Katie are two of the best offensive players of this generation. So now you're really, you know, putting a lot of pressure on Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Duwity, Cam Thomas, whoever else is out there. And... I think, you know, it'll, it'll pass enough for the regular season, but when you get to the playoffs and like in a series or even a play-in game, teams are going to clog the pain and make your life miserable. And I think there's minor ways to counter it, but guys have to be really good, really in sync. And there has to be a ton of off-ball movement and also Claxton. And Ben have to occupy defenders even when they do not have the ball and that's you know setting back screens that's setting off ball screens opening up three-point shooters and also moving and moving with pace but it can't just be like one guy doing that it almost has to be the entire identity of the offense for it to be successful in a real scenario you know and I'm not saying regular season I'm saying like you know end of fourth quarter clutch time and then also playing game playoff time like it's just really tough to overcome that type of deficiency spacing wise
2: yeah, I think you might you you hit on a point that I think and totally resonate with is that the Nets need to instill lots of motion in their offense. Lots of ball movement, lots of player movement, because they don't have the talent. Sort of ball movement and and motion like sort of makes up for the lack of talent that you have on your roster. You can't You're necessarily putting the defense
1: on the move. You know, if they're yeah, stationary, and... it's a lot easier, especially when guys don't have space.
2: Exactly. And you don't have the two of the best ISO scorers, despite Spencer Dinwiddie's numbers have shown to be pretty bloody positive since being Brooklyn. that I think that that's somewhat noisy. He's not coming around. He's not Kyrie Irving, but in saying that I've seen glimpses of that in the preseason, Nick, and, and you probably have as well, but you know, there's been a couple of like nice little plays between Ben and Klaxon. Ben's led some, some, like some lob passes. He's had some like trail passes to, to and He sort of attacked the openings. So I think that, if if Ben is going to be so important to this team, and you know Jacques has said it himself, like he's going to be the leader of this team in terms of how we sort of you know in, in form an identity, and with Ben and Clax together, those guys are going to be as much part of the offense as they are the defense because you know Ben's kicking out to shooters, Clax is. You know, shown that a couple of times in, in the preseason too, that his passing of kickouts looks pretty positive too. You know, he's confident at attacking guys and then kicking out. Ben is, you know, when he's at his best and he's looked pretty good so far. Is doing the same. So I think if there is a world where it can fit, I don't think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be clunky. You know, objectively speaking, you know, it just it's gonna is. worse. He's got
1: it's gonna look worse against certain teams.
2: Absolutely. You know, the, the depending on certain matchups. You know, it, it could look good, and depending on other matchups, it could look pretty, pretty clunky, pretty, pretty negative. But in in saying that, it's going to be you know, a big storyline, a big thing to watch. And I guess it sort of takes me to, unless you had any final thoughts. On I got that, one Nick, thought. I, wanted... I
1: think Ben's aggressiveness around the rim and attacking the rim, you know, what level is that at? Is that at, you know, an F level, a D level, a C level, a B level, an A plus level? Like that could have such a huge impact because he's putting so much more pressure and collapsing the paint in a good way. And that's allowing him to set up three point shooters the way we've seen him do a little bit in preseason. But again, it's preseason. So you have to take everything with a little bit of grain of salt if not a big yeah,
2: assault. No, exactly. I think I can, I see so far like a C level from him. Your C plus level if I'm being a bit rosy, but if that can get to that sort of B level of aggression and even stronger, like he's in the middle could open
1: even that up a little bit too. I didn't even mention that because we saw what two in preseason, like if he's getting sagged off and he can hit those, then okay.
2: Yeah, and he, he missed a couple of them, but the fact that he's willing to take those, I think it's, you know, as I said, and as we've said on the different preseason pods, it's about the general nature and 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 the eye test that you're getting from Ben Simmons that looks positive and will hopefully affect the rest of the team. But one thing that I said on the, the last solo pod I did after the Miami game, Nick, was discussing a little bit of Mikhail Bridges' quote-unquote struggles. And again, I'm using air quotes here because it's the preseason and can you really struggle in the preseason? But Jacques Vaughn, you know, provided some enlightened us on the fact that there weren't any sets for him at all during that preseason. He said this, I guess I can reveal that we haven't really put any sets in for McHale yet. Really, I've been trying to just get us to understand how to change sides of the floor with the basketball play, concept basketball, so we've really been focused on that. Probably the only players we put in were a few side out of bounds and out of bounds underneath. I think we'll use this time from here to the first game to get some sets in that put McHale in positions to be successful. That's I I found that to be like a really sort of, you know, eye-opening sort of quote for him, because I'm like, Mikhail has looked a little bit clunky. You know, he's he's had, like, his, his mid-range has looked, you know, super smooth, but the three ball, it, it's looked just a bit tougher for him. So the fact that that was the case, you know, and hopefully heading into the preseason, there are, or heading into the regular season, there are specific sets that utilize, you know, his best skill set. But yeah, he had struggles, but I think that we now have a reason for why there were maybe some of those struggles.
1: He also might be tired. You know, he's played a lot of basketball in the last couple of years. He hasn't missed a game. He played for team USA. His load was substantially, you know, way, you know, increased last year in terms of what did he needed to carry, not only during the regular season, the postseason. So, I think it's not that crazy and a lot of people have got upset that you know there hasn't been sets installed I think also it's important to note that they can run some of the sets that they literally ran last season for him he wasn't they weren't doing anything super creative it's just kind of giving him a slight advantage off screens obviously a little bit more difficult like we talked about some of the spacing issues but they're NBA coaches you know they're NBA players I'm sure they're going to be able to figure out things and Mikel's going to I think just regular season basketball is different on a lot of different levels. So we'll just see how it all kind of plays out. I, if anything, I'd be the most concerned about the fatigue.
2: Yeah. And I think now that I think we've got some time off, just let Mikhail rest and, and, and he didn't play like a heap in, in the preseason either. He wasn't playing like Ben Simmons, Spencer's in when he sort of finished but those guys were playing high twenties you know, and was just getting some reps here or there just to continue whatever streak of basketball that he's up to now. It's probably, somewhere in the 400s. But yeah, in in saying that, I'm more optimistic. And we sort of heard when he first came to Brooklyn... He was getting sets that were being originally planned for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and that's just not the type of basketball that he is. He might get variations of that, but yeah, Jacques Fawn's his job now and the coaching staff job now is to utilize Mikhail's best strengths. He's not incredible. He's good at getting to the rim, but he's not incredible at it. He's good at creating space. He has a nice enough handle. He's got a really smooth mid-range shot, so it's about finding him spaces, and utilizing his teammates to get him in those spaces. So, you know, finding action, secondary actions, you know, not, you know, he, he might not bring up the ball a heap at the time, but he might attack off closeouts, you know, from Ben, you know, he hasn't shot the three ball, you know, overly well uh, either, but I'm confident that he should be able to shoot the ball well come the regular season because, because he's shown that already, but yeah, it's almost just like, can he replicate, you know, 26 points per game on pretty high level efficiency, you know, again, with an even increased responsibility, but maybe, Ben's, you know, increased ball handling and having Spencer there lessens that load for him, so it allows him to be a better two-way player. Yet yeah, the Mikael Bridges conversation, it feels like we haven't, I mean, we did obviously, you in know, individual preview for him, but this was an interesting sort of quote to sort of look back on and look forward for Mikael Bridges and how he could perform and be utilized come the when the games start to matter.
1: Yeah, and less spacing. You know, he played very limited time with Ben Simmons last year, it was just mostly and Doreen Finney-Smith. So it's, you know, there's more space, you know, DFS is not the best three point shooter, but teams still kind of step out there at least. So there's going to be a lot of adjustments and guys are going to have to kind of fit into different roles and adjust to different things. And I think the set stuff will be fine.
2: Yeah, it will be. Did you have any final Mikael thoughts before, you know, one of our storylines was on cam Thomas and we got a, a listener question around cam Thomas. Did you have any final Brooklyn bridges thoughts?
1: I mean, I think it's just kind of a prove it, you know, prove what you did at the end of last season is real and you can maintain it over the course of the season. Even if the efficiency drops slightly, I think it'd still be a, a really good step forward for him in the Nets.
2: Yeah, 25, like 23 to 26 points is still like really, really good. And then, yeah. you know, if he somehow replicates 26 26- points, like digs the, ex- the exact stats that he produced he's going to be an all-star so you know hopefully he can produce that hopefully and without teammates-
1: a superstar on the team he's cl- no no disrespect he's clearly not you know in my opinion a superstar in the nba so if he was playing next to one things might be a lot even easier for him efficiency wise
2: yeah, he might be one of the, like the best the better number 2s, you know. He's not Paul yeah. George or Anthony Davis, but he's probably in that rung below, you know, one of the best wings in the NBA, but uh, another player that we're going to be looking for very intently is Cam Thomas Nick and we had a listener question from Undercover UNDUHCover. He said, "If CT put up 26 to 28 points per game on insane efficiency, what does the team do ceiling-wise?" Now, I can't see that happening, honestly. I would love it to happen. You know, this could be, you know, if Cam Thomas were to put up those numbers, he's winning the most improved player like yeah. quite easily, but Mikael Bruges is just, funnily enough is one of the favorites to win that uh, award too. So I think the Cam Thomas discussion about w- what to do with him and, and how he's being used. It's, it's something I've become more comfortable with compared to our preseason uh, before our preseason game discussions where let's just say I got in my feelings a little bit in the guards previews and then other previews and, and stuff like that. But yeah, What the jump and rise of Cam Thomas will be is an interesting discussion in itself.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And I think, you know, if he he were to ever hit those numbers, he would be clearly an all-star and the Nets would substantially rise to another level in terms of team. They'd be a lock for the playoffs and who knows, you know, how good they really would be if Cam could take those steps. But like you said, probably unlikely. You know, I think especially the efficiency would never probably end up being super high. I think just given that he's a volume scorer to an extent, obviously he's had really good games and the efficiency has been great. But I think over the course of a year, we'd kind of see some of, you know, some issues at times at maintaining that. But I think Cam's role, you know, I mentioned, I thought in the off season, the Nets kept him. They were going to have a role for him. He was going to play. I think during the preseason, we've kind of confirmed that. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him. And if he plays well, and especially if he does the little things, because obviously we know that's what Jacques Vaughn seems to be obsessed with that's going to open up even more minutes for him because the team's going to need that tough shot making at different points. They're going to need also just his ability to create for himself at the end of the shot clock. I think that's an area where he could probably get a little bit better is just kind of focusing on some of that creation later in the shot clock and understanding that aspect of things. And also, you know, I still want to see him take more catch and shoot threes, but there's clearly been an improvement in areas that the Nets want to see him improve.
2: Yeah. Just overall decision-making, you know, moving the ball a little bit more rather than not ball hogging, but just holding the ball for extended periods. It's sort of what you see Spencer Dimwitty even did in in previous iterations, but he's getting the ball out of his hands and then moving and getting getting into the right positions. One thing I love about Cam Thomas is that guy can get to the line pretty consistently. He might not be, you know, Shagel, just Alexander or something, but he can do it a lot. Mikael Bridges, again, is another guy. So I think that that's where I can think he can find some really easy points. Like he's a, a strong, burly sort of dude. He has the the potential to be the Nets best offensive player on this team. If you look in an offensive bag, he might have the biggest one. You know, you can make an argument for for McHale with that too. But he has a, so much talent and Jacques Vaughn, we sort of spoke about and I spoke about in in like when speaking about Lonnie Walker showing out in that final preseason game. Yeah, you know, with Dennis Smith injured and, you know, question marks around him it does allow Cam Thomas to sort of showcase his talents a little bit more. So hopefully he can relish that opportunity. And we see him from game one against those Cleveland Cavaliers really show out, put up some good numbers, do all the right things team wise. So yeah, I'm excited to see you know Cam Thomas showing out sooner rather than later.
1: There's also a realistic chance that Cam could start at some point this season, you know, and not just as an injury film. like he could take a role away from somebody else. And that's going to be, Kind of interesting to watch and how it all plays out, and I think that'll also say a lot about his development and his relationship with Vaughn and the team. And you know, he's spoken highly about his relationship with Vaughn. Obviously, people on the outside haven't necessarily seen that, but we'll see how it all kind of plays out this year.
2: No, no doubt, and I think maybe that could lead into. We've spoken about like additions and departures on all of our other season previews. Should we just get to some like rotation starters? Yeah, we can just run down
1: the run down the list just as a quick reminder for everybody. You know players uh additions you know Lonnie Walker Dennis Smith Jr. Trendon Watford Harry Giles and then you have the rookies Dariq Whitehead Noah Clowney Jalen Wilson Marnie Brooks on a two-way contract as well so obviously that's new players to this team but like you said we've kind of gone over these guys in the past I guess Darius
2: Baisley Nick is the only point worth mentioning since we've last done our preview content that he's been departing he's not yep he's been waived so now the Nets it sort of solidifies Harry Giles and Trenton and Watford spots, but we can discuss those guys and others maybe a little bit more after the break. Yeah, sounds good.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
3: It's only a kick,
1: a jump, a block.
3: It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure.
1: You got this. Adidas. Getting back into it, Jack, we're going to take a look at the net starters. What are your... Predictions for opening night.
2: Yeah, I got two, Nick. You know, you discussed this a little bit earlier uh, in terms of your chatter around Cam Thomas. The most likely size is going to be Spencer when he Ben Simmons, McKelve. Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, who I want. And I literally have who I want written down. I want Cam Thomas, Ben Simmons, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton. I think that makes the most sense. I've Even when I put out on Twitter a couple of days ago for just general discussion about the net starters, there were people advocating for Royce O'Neal quite a bit. And I'm like, okay, that kind of does make a bit of sense with his spacing. And I think his ball handling is, is okay too. You know, secondary sort of playmaking. So you can make arguments for a lot of guys you know, there are solidified positions for Cam J, Nick Claxton, uh, and and Ben Simmons. It seems, uh, and Mikael Bridges. So, but that fifth spot, you know, you can roll the dice on two or three guys. It'll be Spencer most likely. I'd be surprised if it isn't. But did you have any differing thoughts, similar thoughts?
1: No, I think that's pretty spot on. You know, I think it will be Spencer Dinwiddie, like you said, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton. You know, Cam Thomas could potentially take over that spot later on. Maybe Jock Vaughn really, really surprises us. But I also think an early sub maybe of Spencer Dinwiddie would make a lot of sense. You know, going one way or the other with Spencer or Ben off the floor, you know, we kind of talked about how some of the different variations that could be effective include probably separating maybe Ben Simmons and Spencer Dinwiddie because. At times, when Spencer shared the floor with Ben, feels like he's not quite as involved, and you know he's not this amazing all-star superstar player, but he could probably do more than what we saw in the preseason. So I think making sure he has good opportunities, and I think maybe just like running pick and roll with Nick Claxton or maybe some of the other bench bigs will be interesting to see how he's utilized and how his kind of usage looks in different lineups.
2: Yeah, and you can't and like I guess it just into goes into our just general rotation chatter because Dennis Jr. seems to be likely to be a backup guard but his injury remains to be seen when he'll be back you know Cam Johnson as well you know it's been two three weeks since we've actually seen or heard him playing and apparently today you know tomorrow he's going to be practicing so hopefully that is a positive sign but from a hamstring strain to be 2 or 3 weeks it seems more like a hamstring pull like does it actually rather than just a, a muscle strain but you know hamstring He could be, on minute, be a re- f- minutes
1: restrictions uh the opening yeah. night
2: you know but we could we'll we'll have to wait and see how that does pan out obviously there is still three, four, five days till the Nets do uh, p- play against those Cleveland Cavaliers. But yeah, I think the backups, it's where like, you know, DFS is solidified in his backup role, but then it's like the backup big. you know, there's so much chatter about, you know, Daron Sharp, you know, who I discussed a, a bit on the, the final preseason game, really showed out. Like, it was his maybe best game I've seen him sort of play as a Brooklyn net. And, you know, it was, and for me, it wasn't necessarily just the offensive side of the ball, despite the fact that he hit the three ball and maybe that gives him the point of difference to like a Harry Giles, Trenton Watford, even though Trent Watford shoots the three ball. Okay. Yeah. But his defense and just ability to be a stalwart on that end of floor is what's me positive and be big. And the fact that the net's going to be playing this sort of defensive drops game really suits him. It's just, can he find his footing? Seems like he's going to be given that shot. Do you think that, you know, I think maybe we'd have differing opinions on whether it should be Harry Giles or Trenton Watford or Trenton Watford's going to be more of like a another Ben Simmons sort of type, just a big sort of guy that can uh, play, you know, sort of prototypical ball handler. But do you think it's Dayron Sharp as that sort of backup big, Nick?
1: Based off of what we've seen in preseason rotation-wise, minute allocation, and the way Vaughn's talked about him getting a shot, I think he'll get a shot to, you know, solidify that spot as the backup center. And obviously the Nets somewhat invested in him being on the team and see how it kind of all plays out. I think he's had some good success against Miami in different matchups, you know, that kind of works for him. And I think that's always kind of been a case for Daron Sharp at certain games. He looks really good. And then you look at, it and it's probably matchup related to an extent. So it's going to see how that all plays out. And I think defensively, the Nets are definitely going to play drop this season but I'm not sure how much in comparison to just the regular switching defense or different variations of defense because what they're comfortable with, what they're successful with, it's great to say you want to do something, but if you can't do it at a high level, you're going to have to vary from that at least at some point during the game. You know, the games count, every game counts, the Nets are in no position to throw away games.
2: Yeah, it's not like you do like a, a straight drop against like a Damian Lillard Bucks team. Like yeah. the, this and and, and and the Golden State Warriors. So I think we've we sort of, The Nets have had their issues defensively throughout. I thought that their best game was against Miami, which was positive. But the fact that they have some things up their sleeve, you know, that's where I don't care if the Nets looked poor defensively in all of the games. It's the fact that they were trying stuff and the fact that they're going to have now some. exactly and even in like different games throughout the regular season keep trying that stuff just you know try to stretches
1: that's what it is it's just like not locking yourself in oh we have to play drop like you said every single game even if the matchup isn't good or we're not playing well i think you still worry with drop the hardest thing is about guards getting over screens and really still impacting the ball handler and not letting guys get to the center of the floor you know that was a problem sometimes with the kenny atkinson teams they would play drop and guards would have a great time getting to the center of the floor, and that would really collapse the defense, set up other guys. But still, you know, you're just trying to force them in some of those bad shots and bait them. And that's really what the trick is, finding that right balance and dropping it. It's definitely something it feels like as a defense that you need the reps and experience. So it's kind of balancing that
2: out yeah and look you know you can't do drop against like a phoenix suns team you know you just gotta find the way you have two really
1: really good switch defenders you know and then also you know mikhail's not bad either and then some of the other guys that are not elite defenders but still good to great defenders are good at switching so that's like also you don't want to run away from some of your strengths
2: yeah you just gotta figure it out game by game and and make those adjustments within the game as well jagford that's his job and and this and the assistant coaches the coaching staff so I wanted to ask about the guards as well, Nick, because we saw Lonnie Walker again show out in that final preseason game. And with Dennis Smith Jr., Cam Thomas, Lonnie Walker, are there going to be enough minutes for all of those guys to play consistently, or are we going to see DNP's for Cam, DNP's for for Lonnie? Or uh, I think right now, as we alluded to, Dennis Smith Jr.'s injury leaves the the door open for both of those guys, probably, especially Lonnie given his three-point shooting in that last game, was just lights out and looks so good. And again, I, I alluded to that on the, the last pod, but what are your thoughts, I guess, on the guard depth and the guard rotation outside of, you know, Spencer?
1: There's not enough minutes. You know, that's that's a fact of information. You know, we were worried about that to an extent. You know, who's going to you know earn that spot? And, you know, a lot of people were worried it wasn't going to be Cam. Everything points to him kind of almost having a solidified spot. So it's kind of the other two guys. And it, it just stinks for Dennis Smith Jr. He got hurt. And he's also not a shooter. And I think there's going to be so much issue with spacing and offense at times that he's just not going to be able to play. You're going to have to find really specific matchups for him to be successful. And I think there's going to be times where Vaughn tries to force it. And that's, where we're going to see extreme frustration as fans, just knowing that other guys could open up the floor. And I think Lonnie Walker can just, add, he's, he's electric, you know, in the way that he kind of moves out there. And I think also he, fits well with transition and plays with good pace and there are things that the nets really want to do and he's improved as a three-point shooter you mentioned you know he was good in that last game i think he'll have a really good season and maybe a career year from three just based off of how he's looked and the progress in his career
2: yeah and he spoke about the fact that he was working on that three-point shot because you know it's just so important in today's nba and for this Nets team so it'll be interesting because you know a guy and we can get to surprise players a little bit later and stuff but you know the of watford has looked so good in as well but how do you find minutes for him when Harry and or and or Harry Giles you know does Darren Sharp get get given the quote-unquote maybe not green light but like the yellow light for a certain appearance it's like okay well you're not getting these minutes because we've got Harry Giles and Trenton Watford back here and these guys skilled these guys can produce on an NBA court they just know what to do they're really smart players they've got a lot of talent so yeah the fact the depth you can look at it, it's about, I guess, a matter of perspective, Nick. It's like, is this depth a good thing or is this depth a bad thing? You know, the, the depth, normally you can breed competition, all that good stuff, but can it create a little bit of infighting in the locker room? Like, why aren't I getting minutes Darren Sharp's playing like absolute trash out there. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who's a former, like, number one, you know, five star recruit, Harry Giles and Trenton Watford. I can't imagine that being the case, but in, it will probably make us angry when we see Darren Sharp it's- have a poor night.
1: On um, the coaches too, you know, managing the personalities and keeping everyone on the same page, communicating and all those different things, you know, you hope that depth is always a good thing. I think uh, Watford, the interesting thing for him is he just has like this knack to score the basketball, even in tough shots and like getting to making shots, even when the defense is in good position type of thing. And that's something the Nets can need at different points in this year. And then also we talked about, he is the most competent in terms of three point shooters between himself, you know, De'Ron Sharp. Uh, nick clax and harry giles so that that's a separator for him you know he's he looks comfortable he looks comfortable handling the ball and that's also a way to occupy a defender even if you're not you know spacing the floor and that's what we talked about with clax and ben to start the show so definitely is going to be interesting i think the nets probably want a little bit more from him defensively i think that's probably why he hasn't necessarily been in what seems like the regular rotation, but. As the season plays out, Vaughn's going to be forced to try different things. And as we always talk about, guys get hurt, you know, wrist contusion, ankle sprain, whatever it is.
2: Yeah, and there's obviously, you know, DFS at the five possibly could happen. I think that there's certain matches where you, to you Sorry to cut you
1: off, Jack. I think one thing's been apparent. Trading DFS would make a lot of sense for this team. Obviously, he's kind of a veteran presence, but him not being here would open up more opportunities and probably be more effective in terms of the long-term, especially if the Nets don't view him as a future piece. And he's definitely had his struggles with this construction of this team.
2: Yeah. I think you could almost, I'm not saying like for like by any stretch of the imagination, but Trenton Watford could take a a, a significant portion of Dorian Finney Smith's minutes because he is a guy that's, I think, a bit more talented offensively or has more offensive upside. I think DFS is a very, very good defender. I think he gets maybe a little bit overrated at times and yeah, and I a, a more and
1: like a real like hustle energy guy. Like he's a guy that adds toughness that could be in question for this team at points.
2: Yeah, so we'll we'll see how that does pan out. And we discussed that a little bit earlier about the the trade stuff. But yeah, we could chat for days and days. We haven't even discussed, you know, Derek Whitehead if he's going to come back. You know, Armani Brooks is you know, case for providing the space that the net so sorely needs. So Especially in some of those do-
1: deep three-pointers, like where he's a couple feet behind the line, and that just, like, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but it's just at an extra level of spacing.
2: Yeah, I think the, the big thing going forward is going to be this could determine how successful the nets are obviously the depth can be looked at as a, a byproduct of being positive because with dennis Smith injured it now means that having cam thomas and and lonnie walker to, to back up or as well as spencer did when he, is going to be a positive because they still have three quality guards on the roster but then it's going to be like how do you figure out the five man lineups that are best you know yeah. we don't know what is going to work best along we know what in given what we've seen for Ben Simmons in the past, what's going to work side best alongside Dennis Smith jr. You know, you can't play Dennis and and, and Ben together. You know, maybe you can for little stretches here or there for defense, offensive possessions, but yeah, there's a lot of different skill sets on this team and balancing those out with the right five man combinations is a job that Jacques Vaughn and his staff are going to have a tough one to juggle.
1: Yeah. It's a, like you said, it's a lot about balance and finding the skill sets that fit next to each other. And, this isn't a group that's had a ton of time together. You know, they've had training camp, they've had preseason, but that's not really enough for almost a completely new group because there's no even a backbone really of last season because they were still thrown together for that last segment. So it's it's also going to kind of say a lot about Vaughn as a coach, I think, this season, not to say he's a good or a bad coach, but is managing depth and rotations and players and balancing lineups is a skill that he has. You know, last year you can kind of give him – I don't want to say a pass on a lot of things, but a lot of incomplete grades because he didn't have his training camp. He didn't have the full season. He didn't have a team that really played more than 30 games together at any point you know, during the year. So now it's like, all right, the there's a lot less excuses. Yes, your team's less talented, but everything is kind of out there. you know, Everything's in front of you. You have everything available to you to make this group as successful as you possibly can. And that'll dictate a lot about his future and I think how fans media view him moving forward.
2: Yeah, the expectations are, are certainly aren't going to be as high, but the microscope is going to be on him from Nets fans and and people who who look at the team pretty closely. Less talented because,
1: teams put more pressure sometimes on the coach.
2: Yeah, and and in saying that, this is where the work needs to be put in. You know, because talent can override coaching a lot of the time. You know, you know, Phil Jackson with Michael Jordan and, and and so many other different teams along the way. So, but Nick, well, I guess. It, it, it it pivots us nicely into the surprise players chatter. Were there any guys that we've discussed that sort of stick out to you that you wrote down as as you, who could be surprise players uh, heading into the regular season?
1: Yeah, I think Lonnie Walker's a guy. You know, I've talked about him on the pod already during preseason. Just been really fun watching him play, and I think his skill set can really work well, especially if the Nets are very good defensively because it'll open up transition opportunities where he's just very quick, fluid, able to finish, you know, get above the rim a little bit on some occasion too. And like you mentioned, a three-point shot improving and all of that stuff, he's just a guy that I think can have a career year and really solidify his NBA career. You know, not to say he's going to be out of the league, but he's on a minimum contract. You know, a good season from him, he can get kind of six-man money or bench, you know, good bench player money. And I think that's going to be huge for him.
2: Definitely. I, I went for, for Trenton Watford. You know, for a lot of the reasons we've already discussed, I just really like his offensive game. And you would, I, I think the Nets are going to struggle in the half court and just having a guy that can get like a, a dinky little floater here or there, be in the right spots, hit a three ball, make the right pass. I just think he's a really good all round basketball player. I think he, he's super duper young as well. I want to see him being given some opportunities going forward. And I think he can really impact the team positively. I'm already envisioning a couple of podcasts of me getting angry that Trevor Watford's not getting enough minutes and I'm starting a campaign on, on, the Brooklyn buzz about free trend in Watford. But in, in saying that, you know, you can make a claim for uh, Jalen Wilson and Derek Whitehead, some of these young guys at the latter points of the season. You're showing us uh, some some of the skills that they do have. But yet, yeah, because this Nets team is so deep, you can make it like for Harry Giles as well. Yeah. The, the depth. and Dennis I mean, he, he's
1: already surprised he's made the team and that's not disrespectful to him. Just given the hurdles he's had to overcome to get to this point and not land the two-way spot, a real roster spot, spot that's cool. And that's impressive for him. Like good for him.
2: Yeah, it's it's an awesome story. And and we love those sort of comeback stories. And yeah, Dennis Fitz Jr. as well. Can you replicate yeah. what he did in Charlotte and be a, a really incredible defender? Because th- that that's I guess the bright byproduct of this team. You know, can Cam Johnson replicate what he did in the postseason and, and surprise a few people? Can Cam Thomas show it? Like there's so many surprise quote unquote surprise players that we could get. I think a lot of people would be surprised if Ben's an all-star. Like you can call Baby Ben Simmons and all-star. That's about uh, a surprise player. story So yeah, the Nets could have Plenty of surprises this season and how surprising they are will dictate how many games they win. Probably.
1: I'm going to make a little bit of a hot take. I think Noah Clowney will get some random times to play because of injury. And I think he'll have some flashes. We'll see some flashes and we'll feel a lot better about the pick after the regular season than what we saw in summer league. And even during preseason, I think you saw how playing with competent NBA playmaking and point guards can open up and allow him to have easy opportunities because He's just super tall and lanky, and that that's important in the NBA.
2: Yeah, uh, Nick Faye, Noah Clowney, Stan never thought of the other day, but <laughs> no. But in, in in saying that, I also I think Derek got... Whitehead could really surprise
1: too because it's such a um, his game is such a mystery right now.
2: I am a Derek Whitehead Stan. I, I'm I, I would have liked to have started the podcast with Derek Whitehead and end it with him, but I'm just looking forward to the day where he's healthy and we can see him in the Nets uniform, and even if it's in the G League Long Island uniform, I'm I'm really really excited. Can't wait to to see. Uh, how it all pans out, but Nick, I guess let's get to the strengths and weaknesses. What did you have written down?
1: Yeah, I think there's a pretty clear, obvious strength of this team. It's defense. You know, that's this, the group is, has a lot of elite defenders. We've mentioned it a million times. We're talking Mikel Bridges, Nick Claxon, potentially Ben Simmons, Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, Cam Johnson's not bad. Dennis Smith Jr. is really good. A lot of other guys in this team are competent and could even be better. You know, Vaughn hopefully can put in place multiple schemes where they can adjust and really, make other teams uncomfortable. I think that's what you want to do defensively in the NBA. You know, guys are going to hit tough shots, but you want to make them as comfortable as possible. So that's an area as of strength. I think, you know, I think this team will have good energy. You know, a young team, a lot of guys with a chip on their shoulder, proven contracts for a lot of players in this team. And then also I think it's full of athletes. You know, this is a really athletic Nets team. And that's not something we've been able to say for a long time.
2: No, piggybacking off some of the things that you sort of alluded to, you know, the athleticism, the Nets have so much wingspan. You know, Harry Giles seven three. Watford seven two. Clack seven two. Mikhail Bridges, seven one, Ben Simmons, seven foot, Dorian Finney Smith, seven foot. You know, there's just a, a lot of wingspan. You know, I think youth as well. You know, Mikel Bridges, 27, Nick Clarkson, 24, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Dorothy Finney Smith are the only guys who are 30 plus. Royce O'Neill uh, as well. But then you got Darren Sharp, 21, Ben Simmons, only 27. You know, Cam Thomas, 22, Dennis Smith Jr., 25. I think on the defense thing, I was trying to get into some some nitty gritty stuff and finding, you know, where is it defensively? That they look that they look good last year. They were one of the best teams when it came at defending at shots less than ten foot, so around the rim. It was the Brooklyn Nets and the Memphis Grizzlies wow. that were the best teams at that, and, and both of them at fifty six point one percent. I think a lot of that gets credited to Nick Claxton how incredible he was, and people probably don't give him uh, the credit that he does deserve. So and low key and probably
1: think- some credit to Kevin Durant, who was having a really good season as a help defender with the Nets. Before the trade happened, and obviously sad to bring that up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think, think that they can continue that. You know, and the drop scheme might help impact that positively too. Variations well, huge. Yeah, no doubt. I think pace as well as something that you know the Nets weren't amazing in the preseason. You know, they were eleventh. You know, one hundred and five uh, possessions per game. But I think that that's an area where they're going to look to be you know top five, top ten. Um, but and and I think that you know all of those things. You know, cultivate into what's going to be a a pretty interesting team and and their identity is is pretty firmly on that defensive end of the floor.
1: Yeah. And then it's going to need to lead to a lot of transition opportunities offensively. And I think, you know, I think what was in the heat game, we saw them press a little bit, slow down the nets and Ben Simmons from getting into some of those early sets or early motion, even when it's like that semi transition that can be effective for teams like the nets with some of the players they have. So it's going to be important to just constantly bring the juice all the time, but Jack, what do you have for weaknesses?
2: I had rebounding, I had three-point shooting. Again, I'll preface this with the fact that the Nets shot the the three ball pretty well in... In the preseason, in fact, they were the best three-point shooting team in the preseason at 43.8%, you know, on over 38 attempts. So maybe that is a weakness. Maybe that's somewhere closer to being neutral. But I still see it as something that they do lack spacing because they have certainly defensive guys who just can't shoot a three-ball. Like, Klax has said that he can, but he can't. Ben Simmons can't. desperate Junior can't. Like, they just legitimately can't shoot a three-ball. When it comes to defense, we obviously know that the rebounding is one thing that stops them from being maybe that top five defense that we sort of alluded to, you know, post post Mikhail Bridges trade, they were 27th in total rebound percentage, you know, 28th, I think in offensive, in, in, in defensive rebound percentage and 27th in offensive rebound percentage. So, and I think the points off turnovers is something they're going to need to improve, you know, half court sort of scoring because the offense is going to be predicated on the defense, you know, last season, 14.5% of their total points were scored off turnovers, you know, and I think that that's, and you look at the best teams in those departments, Cleveland, Toronto, OKC, and Chicago all scored 20 points or more per game yeah. when it came to points off turnovers. The Nets are going to need to aim for that if they're going to be one of the better teams. And I think with Ben Simmons and with Lonnie Walker and with a, 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 bit, a bit more pace and that defensive mindset, it's going to have to be a large portion of their offensive schemes because in the half court, they might find you know a, a few struggles here or there.
1: Yeah. I think my top, you nailed it, Jack, you know, spacing and offense are just two things that are going to be a struggle at times and generating points off turnovers and easy opportunities is going to be huge for them. Just given some of their limitations in some of the half court sets. And like you said, rebounding, you know, it's definitely a weakness from last season. I'm thinking some of the moves they made and potentially some of the variations defensively should help them hope to make that less of a weakness and just kind of hopefully be middle of the pack. You know, that's going to be on the whole team and guys all looking to be at least you know 10 percent better if everyone's a little bit better it'll have a huge impact and we talk about it sometimes with the guards and even just having a athletic ben simmons around and a couple bigs fighting for minutes and obviously dayron that's one of his best skills like if he wants to solidify that spot i think like we've talked about it's not being great just on the offensive boards but also being a monster on the defensive boards
2: yeah i don't think the nets are going to be a top five defense unless their rebounding is at the very least like 18th like yeah. they they have to be. And I like
1: 18th a solid goal comparing considering last season.
2: 27th, 28th, you know, in some of the departments that were just awful, like legitimately awful. So, I think that's going to be the one area we'll be watching. If they're at least fine at that, then they will be, you know, legitimately. It's going to be the difference between being fifth on on off on defense and tenth on defense, like truly elite to being very very good, and that could yeah. be the difference between five or ten wins, but. Any final thoughts on strengths and weaknesses, Nick? Before we get to uh, some uh, win predictions and uh, one last question uh, as well from Cipher.
1: Yeah, I think that's just kind of the the vague different things. You know, you could look at the Nets from a microscope and point out some different things, but I think in general, that's the topics are covered.
2: Well, I guess I wanted to ask you: What do you, th- in terms of offensive and defensive, right? What do you predict the Nets, the Nets, the Nets will be? Uh, for this season do you think they will be a top 10 defense top five where do you think they'll finish on offense what are your thoughts there
1: yeah probably like a top 20 offense you know i mean probably somewhere between like 22 and 16 you know i think that's probably a reasonable range to hope for you know things really work out and someone takes a giant stride forward it could get up to maybe 15 to 12 and that's if things really work out but i think defensively the goal has to be At minimum, a top seven unit. I think anything less than that is a pretty big disappointment unless, you know, knock on wood, Nick Claxton were to get injured or something like that, because I think he's probably still the focal point defensively, even as good as Ben and Mikel are, you know, Clax is a big and his ability to impact the game on multiple levels is just different from those other guys. So I think top seven and best case, they could be, you know, top four, top three, like they have that level of talent. There's just little details and experience that they need.
2: Yeah, the details matter. I'll predict 7th on defense and I'll predict 20th on offense, maybe closer to 21st. So that's probably a team that's around the 6th to sort of 8th seed. But in terms of wins, wins, Nick, what are you predicting? And Cypher asked us, what would you consider a successful season for this net team and what would you consider a failure?
1: I think I'll go with uh, 40 wins. You know, obviously two games under 500, around that 500 mark all year. I think the Knicks, the the Knicks, the Nets are going to grit and grind a little bit, you know, just find opportunities to win games that they're probably not supposed to or guys take nights off. And they probably won't because of their depth and some of the players and the chip on their shoulder. They're going to have opportunities to probably win some games that they're not supposed to just because of that energy level. But also they're going to probably lose games they shouldn't because they're going to struggle offensively. And one of these random bad teams is going to have a hot night and the Nets just can't outscore them.
2: Yeah, especially in sort of clutch situations where the the floor is shrunk and the net spacing might affect them. You're going to
1: so, see some 0-6 clutch time numbers. Like, that's just going to probably happen. It's a struggle yeah. in offense for this team at points.
2: Yeah, and then I think I, w- I was on the 40 sort of wind bandwagon uh, as well, but I might drop it to 39. Again, not a drastic sort of drop. But yeah, when I put out on, on, on Twitter the other day, like the net ceiling could be as high as 45, 47 and as low as 35 to 37. So that's sort of the floor and ceiling. Success for me is more about player development than wins and losses. Like if the Nets win 37 games, but Cam Thomas, Mikael Bridges, Nick Claxon, and Ben Simmons, all these sort of guys, we see some some flashes from our from our rookies and some and Lonnie Walker and Trenton Watford. That that for me is more successful than winning. Forty games, and Cam Thomas is still relegated. mikhail Bridges doesn't have as efficient a season. Ben Simmons, you know, he doesn't return to form. So for me, it's more anecdotal and more uh, beyond, you know, the wins and losses for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of finding a balance between that because I think if those guys are having successful seasons, the Nets will probably be more productive in terms of the win totals, and if they're not. They're going to probably be closer in the loss totals unless it's, you know, some situation where they, you know, deal with injury and someone's missing a big chunk of know, se- big chunk of the season, stuff like that. So I think success is just identifying pieces for the future and having a better identity and understanding what you have with this team. And that goes from not just, you know, coaching to the players, to the future, to, know who could fit on a championship team who does enough of the little things and who's worth maybe even overpaying a little bit in the short term to have on a long-term contract or something like that and also you know do they have a real plan after the season I think that's the success for me you know maybe that's trading for a star level guard at the deadline you know maybe that's the rumors are coming out in May you know similar to the Kyrie Katie stuff where there were rumblings that the Nets might land a star this guy's interested in coming here I think just solidifying something for the future and having an idea in the direction they're going you know if they just have such a blah season and nothing's established that'll be a disappointment we learn nothing and they're just almost in the same spot they were in last offseason that would be less than ideal and when i say that i'm not talking contract wise asset wise or anything like that i'm just talking about identity of the players and understanding of who they are and who they can be
2: yeah let's build that foundation
1: yeah, and that's really it. And hopefully, you know, the Nets surprise us and have a more successful season than what we're predicting win-wise. Jack, I guess, just final question, you know, will they be in the play, in the playoffs, out of the picture, or what?
2: Uh, my guess is the eighth seed. So I think yeah. in the plane is probably most likely, I think, teams like the Pacers, the Bulls, the Raptors that are around that sort of mark, could roll a dice, even in the Hawks, you could roll a dice on them. The Nets have, as you alluded to, a deep roster and guys that are notoriously available outside of probably like, Ben Simmons. So maybe that allows them to be a little bit higher, but my prediction is probably the eighth seed. They could maybe finish as high as the fifth seed, you know, on a really, really good day. And their worst is probably, you know, five to 10 is that sort of floor to ceiling.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be in the playing game, most likely. I just think that's kind of how things are going to play out, given the roster and you know some of the other teams in the East and just the, the experience they have and some of the the talent out there. So, you know, it'd be great if they can land the sixth seed. Uh, but most likely, I think they'll probably be somewhere between, like you said, you know, 7-10, somewhere in there. And hopefully at 7 or 8, so they only have to win one playing game. And they can give someone a better playoff series than what they did last year and maybe even have a chance to steal it. But, Jack, any final thoughts We're out of here?
2: I'll wait for game one, Nick.
1: Yes, sir. Hopefully we get a surprise in the home opener against the Cavs. Always a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks, everybody, for listening.